Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. Most of us don't like change. We fear the unknown and often cling to a way of doing something, even if it isn't productive. Just because, well, that's the way it's always been done. Why change now? So what happens when change is thrust upon you without warning? That's what happened with today's guest, whose life was interrupted by a family crisis she couldn't walk away from. It involved the diagnosis of a form of dementia that affects more than one million Americans. And it's the second most common type of progressive dementia after Alzheimer's disease. But I'll let my guest explain the rest. Lisa Howland joins us from Miami, Florida. Lisa, I'm really happy to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Well, let's set the stage for our listeners. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up? I grew up in Miami. I'm a child of divorced parents and an only child. And my father was never remarried after my mother that he divorced when, uh, where she divorced him when he was, when I was about four or five. Mm -hmm. So each of them had long-term relationships, but when it came to them being seniors, neither one of them have a significant other to care for them. Uh So tell us what happened uh, with your dad. Well, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, had lived alone because she outlived her husband by many years. And I can say in the advances that we've made with dementia, there was probably not a lot of help in the late 80s, early 90s. Mm -hmm. And everybody just labeled things as Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. But I became one of her caregivers when I was college age. So I was acquainted with dementia. And I believe that my father had a great fear that this is how his aging would turn out for him as well. So I saw the signs early, but my father was very independent. And I think the progression was very slow. And he was in denial and nor did he ever discuss it with me. In mm-hmm. fact, many other family members knew, but he wouldn't say anything to me. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. I never got the answer to that. What were the signs that you so, were seeing? Well, I think early signs were aggression, irritability, and argumentativeness, and subtle personality changes. And I just thought we were not seeing eye to eye as father and daughter, but it, it was more than that. And then... A few idiosyncratic behaviors that he always had were just exacerbated. And to someone that knew him or knew him but didn't know him as well as I did Mm -hmm. or do, they probably wouldn't have even seen that as strange. Mm -hmm. Most people would call it eccentric. And I knew in my mind, I always knew, I never moved out of town. And sometimes our relationship was very strained and adversarial. But I knew that ultimately I would be the person responsible to take care of him. And I was probably in denial about it, but I knew at some point it would come. And it came pretty quick. (laughs) So how old was he when you started to notice Um, the changes? In his late 60s, I started noticing changes. And they were very subtle then. There was nothing that prevented him 
from taking care of himself, Mm -hmm. but there were some behaviors that were erratic or not things that he would have typically done in the past. Mm -hmm. Can you think of an example? Maybe silly financial decisions, a little bit of that, Mm -hmm. a little bit of something that I wouldn't have seen him act that way in the past. To be more conservative on one end, far more frugal than he would have been before, Mm -hmm. but yet at the same time reckless with other things. Hmm. And he was a businessman, so I really was surprised at those things. Some of these behaviors happened, and then when he still was pretty much fine, socializing, going to church, living a normal life like most people, the first thing that everybody kind of ignored, but he, we couldn't convince him otherwise, he was hearing music, so he thought, all night long, repetitive hmm. music. Wow. Yeah. There was no convincing him. He would argue, and he would say that he heard it all night long, and if we would stay over at the house, we would have heard it too. So, of course, we didn't know that that was true. But uh-huh. what he do with just that one symptom of something? We didn't really know what that was, you know, what that could be. And it could mm-hmm. be very many things. Mm-hmm. Because people with Alzheimer's and dementia have delusions, illusions. Music is quite common, too. Uh-huh. And he was, hearing, he was hearing military music. So that went on for some years. And we would say no. We think, you know, anybody involved would say no. I think you need to see the doctor. It's really not happening. And he was adamant that it was. Did he refuse to see a doctor? So, yes. Okay. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And as I have found, the smarter the person is, the better they are at disguising their symptoms. And they find behaviors or explanations that a person that isn't extremely familiar with them would dismiss and say, oh, yeah, that's why. For example, not knowing the date. Well, I'm retired. I don't need to know the date. Oh, wow. Clever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, very, very, very <laughs> much so. And you generally, I find the doctors to be relatively ignorant in their first questions of trying to see if you have dementia because they'll say, who's the president? How old are you? What is your birth date? Right. And they're either, I, I caught my father several times writing them on a, you know, asking me for the newspaper. I couldn't understand why the newspaper was so important. But every morning he would look at the date, subtract his birth year, to remind himself how old he was, and mm-hmm. he would hide this from me. Wow. And so, so yeah. s- sounds like you did eventually get him to a doctor. And Absolutely, yeah. When you took him to the doctor, I know for a lot of Alzheimer's patients, or for a lot of dementia patients, it's really hard to get a diagnosis. So, Absolutely. How many visits did it take to get a correct diagnosis, and what was the diagnosis? Because we haven't named this yet. Well, it actually took more than a year. And a lot of the health professionals were ignoring his age, not spending adequate time discussing things with him or interviewing him, even though there were CAT scans, there were all sorts of scans. They were denying or not accepting what I was saying to them, and most of them were treating his symptoms as manic depression. And I was extremely frustrated with that because there's never been a history of that, and it really was Lewy body dementia which, quite frankly, a nurse practitioner, a psychiatric nurse practitioner, hit the nail on the head with that immediately. And many other doctors, they were just off. I had him seeing a psychiatrist, and the psychiatrist was very quick to label him with manic depression, grandiosity. Those are all signs of dementia and Lewy body. And Lisa, how, how does Lewy body dementia differ from other forms of dementia? How does it distinguish itself? I, I think it would be earmarked by aggression. So if they aren't on the right medications, which would include the Aricept and perhaps a small amount of an anti-anxiety mm-hmm. medication, you know, you're, if you're dealing with a man, it can be quite hard to handle them yeah. because they'll have a 
they'll have an illusion or a delusion. There's no way to correct that. Mm-hmm. And then it's usually marked by violence, especially a man who is independent. Yeah. That's probably the worst part of all of this. Taking the car keys away, acting as a parent to your parents, telling them that they can't drive anymore or live alone. Mm-hmm. Really how, frustrating. How did you convince him? Well, I wasn't really sure how far he had progressed. Sometimes I found myself still acting like the child and having him act like the parent. And I would listen to his request regardless of how... Appropriate. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Because I'm the daughter, he's the father. And then I started seeing things progressively every day. And I think then I realized, okay, I'm not really assessing this properly for myself. I mean, we would have some fights sometimes about stupid things taking care of this, taking care of that, his ability to drive, go get my car. And, you know, in hindsight, I would have never had a fight or an argument with him. That makes me feel terrible. I would have found another way to get around it. The Mm -hmm. word tomorrow works very well. We can do it tomorrow. Uh And I brought my father to live with me, and I believe that even though he wasn't happy about it immediately, I believe he knew he was safe. He was going to be cared for. And... I think he knew that he needed that, even though he didn't want to ask for it. Mm-hmm. And that's a big commitment for you, to have him move in with you. What was that like? Um, there, was, there was never a question, and I had less than a week to prepare. Tell me about that. What happened? Well, usually, because he's a man and because he's independent, had it been my mom, I think it would have been a lot easier. But he was fiercely independent, and there is always, I find, with people his age, there is something about never leaving their home, staying in their home. And I was willing to honor that, but it was just too difficult. I let it go to the point that social services became involved. He was getting paranoid. He was leaving his house in the middle of the night to go take walks. And he was driving just locally in the neighborhood, but still having accidents. So, you know, people became concerned, people that knew him. And I'm grateful for it now, but he would have never let me have him come live with me if it weren't for social services being involved. And he used that as an incarceration, which is horrible because he thinks they've taken his independence. He viewed moving in with you as an incarceration? Yes, he mm-hmm. believes that at first, yes. That absolutely. first step, uh-huh. Well, yeah. well, well, Lisa, how did you, did you think you could handle this? What was your yes. attitude going yes, into it? I thought it? I could. I absolutely thought I could. And... I first told my job that I would be back in a week, and then I said two weeks, and then I said three weeks, and then I realized it wasn't going to happen. I would be caring for him every night, and then during the day I was spending time at his home trying to clean it up and take care of things. Just a moment, please. I'll be back in just a minute, all right? Okay, you're going to listen to the piano? So in case it isn't obvious, I'm speaking with Lisa from the dementia care facility where her father lives, which is the reason for our break in conversation here. And it seems to highlight the fact that even when her father is being cared for, Lisa is still on some level managing his life. Okay, I'll see you shortly. All right? Back now to our conversation. So I was trying to handle things at his home first, and then I'd come home at night and take care of him while dinner time on. And then I had help during the day. I never left him alone, and I had help during the day. Mm-hmm. But the minute I'd leave the house, someone would call me and say, you have to come back because he's trying to leave. Gosh. So, yeah, mm-hmm. there was too much. I, I couldn't. It was, it was insanity. Uh-huh. And then I was doing my own research, and I was realizing, you know, all the little chips, sundowners, 
don't have a lot of mirrors in the house. Make sure the house is well lit in the evening so there aren't shadows. Do you uh, have a lot of mirrors in the house? Yeah. Sometimes the image is brightening to them. I didn't know that either. If they're having illusions, sometimes they see things in the mirror that aren't there. People that are, aren't alive anymore or it's very scary. So I thought I could do it because he was generally in a good mood and enjoyed me cooking and caring for him. And he was still showering on his own and dressing with a little assistance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it went down very quickly after that. Uh-huh. So at that point when he moved so, in with you, how old was he? Early 70s? No, no. This was recently. This has all happened in the last year and a half. Okay. And, and how old is he now? He's turning 83 next month. Okay. And he was 81. Okay. So just to kind of lay this out for the listeners, you noticed some changes in his late 60s. You noticed some things that didn't alarm you. You just kind of noticed. Yes, he was in a bad mood or argumentative Mm -hmm. and defensive. Mm -hmm. And then moving into the 70s, things were kind of the same, but sounds like a really slow burn. Um, Absolutely. And then he really turned a corner. In yes. uh, when he's you know early eighties and yeah. and then you persuaded him to move in with you under the gun. He I don't moved think in I with pers- yeah, I don't think I persuaded him. I didn't. I told him he didn't have a choice. I mean, they had taken him to the hospital, and I said, if you want to, I think he kind of looked at me as his only way out of there. So I see. I think he kind of knew it was that or something far worse. So during all of that so, time before he moved in with you, were you just like on pins and needles all the time? How oh, did... I knew it was coming, but yeah. actually we had been fighting fighting so much that we were barely in, in touch. And uh-huh. he had all these notions about what I was doing with my life that were wholly untrue. So that was part of the false belief system. I was the bad guy then. Now I'm not the bad guy anymore, but I was then. Uh-huh. So what sort of emotions did you go through? What a roller coaster ride for you. Um, um, I work well under pressure, uh-huh. <laughs> but I was working at his house because there was a little hoarding. I'm being mild when I say a little hoarding. Trying to get his financial life in order, I, I was trying to make sense of his sense of organization at the house, which was off the wall, and trying to take care of the things that he asked me to take care of. And then I was physically working at his house just to throw stuff away. I kind of knew he was not coming back there. Mm-hmm. I wanted to empty out the house. And then caring for him in the evening, and then he'd be up in the middle of the night every night. You know, he was wandering mm-hmm. in the middle of the night. Eventually, I put my bed in front of um, his bedroom door so he couldn't get past me. But let's say I probably lost 20 pounds, and I cried every night. Oh. Yeah, but I, I mean, I have to say that when I was not really looking for help, but when I was talking to accountants, to doctors, to lawyers, to nurses, people, I really realized that I was not the only one in this. And people that were not even remotely friends of mine stepped up and really helped out mm-hmm. and said, I, hey, I've been there. Do this, do that. And talking to people really, you know, it's nothing to be ashamed of. But certainly my father's ashamed of the fact that he couldn't take care of himself anymore. There was a lot of shame for him. But... Mostly what I try to do now is quality of life. Uh huh. And how long did he live with you? Uh, about six months. Six months. Okay. Yeah. And, then, and then what happened after six months? Uh, he crawled out of a window in the middle of the night and tried to leave the house. With... Crawled out of a window? Mm-hmm. Oh, my I goodness. Had a alarm. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's pretty agile. To be honest, he's pretty agile. He has Parkinson's as well. 
but he crawled out of the window because he was having a delusion and he was trying to get away from my house. And I didn't have a certified nursing assistant that evening and I was terrified. When he crawled out of the window at night, did you say the alarm went off and that's how you were alerted? Yes, because I was sleeping always with one eye open, but I never have reached a point of exhaustion like that before. My brain was functioning at half that. Right. And so you went after him because you heard the alarm go off. I did. And how did you bring him back? Uh, He was extremely aggressive, and I was concerned that if I didn't get him in the house, I had... I had the house keys in the pocket of my pajamas, but I didn't have my phone, so I couldn't call 911. No neighbors heard me. I was wondering how that could, you know, a scuffle could go on in my front yard and no one would notice. And I really thought the only way I was going to get him back in the house or at least stop him was to trip him. So in my mind, I'm thinking, if I trip him, am I going to break a bone? And I convinced him to come back in the house because his pets were in the house. And his pets were in the house. Mm-hmm. That's how I got him back in. And then I calmed him down, and he went back to bed. And in the morning when he woke up, I wanted to feel it out to see if he remembered that he did it. And I could tell that he did. So with the CNA, we went to his doctor, and he punched me at the doctor's and tried to put my head through a window and then threw hot coffee on me and tried to run away. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, he was in the middle of an episode, and that's Louis body dementia. It was kind of a big scene. It was kind of a big scene at the doctor's office. So the police, police were called by the doctor, and I had to Baker Act him. Do you know what a Baker Act is? No. You had to Baker yeah, Act him. It's basically where the police will take you to a hospital with a psychiatric facility, and they will keep you 72 hours for evaluation. So I had been looking into adult care facilities or memory care units. I felt guilty because I still kept thinking, I could do this, I could do this, and help in the house. And on that day, the three nurses that, the three CNAs that worked for us quit because they were all friends. And the one that was present for the incident said, uh, I'm not dealing with this and nor should any of you. So I had to use my 72 hours of his uh, Baker Act to decide on one of the facilities that I had interviewed. And that was never my intention. But quite frankly, I did the right thing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guilt. There's I'm a lot of sure. guilt. You know, I didn't have other family members to help me, siblings, and I'm a woman. My father's much larger and much stronger than I am, and it was dangerous. I should have known, look, when you start hiding the knives in your house, you know, I did that without thinking. Instead of thinking, that's crazy, what are you doing? I just Mm -hmm. did the knives. Mm -hmm. You start to do things like that because you're tired, and then if you're going to the point where you're hiding the knives in your home, then it's time to get help. Yeah. You know, if you're bolt locking the doors and, high, and bolt locking the windows, it's time to get help. But, you know, you hit on something that is so common. When you're in the thick of the crisis, you really are not thinking. You're not thinking logically. And there's a, there's a sort of a, a, a new normal as you go along that you get used to. Right. And you think, well, that's a little different, but eh, I can handle it. And you really can't see because you're in the eye of the hurricane and you really can't see what's going on around you. No. And you may have other friends or relatives visit you, but they don't really get to see anything episodic. So maybe they think you're doing a good job and they're telling you you're doing a good job. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of guilt involved because all seniors want to stay in their home. It's very important. That's the holy grail. And quite frankly, it's not the best thing. It's not, the, it's not the best solution for everyone, you know. No. And quite frankly, I find law enforcement and law of doctors undereducated. 
I kept trying to take my dad's driver's license away, and he was holding on to that for dear life. Because I figured if he did run away and a policeman were to find him, they would return him to the address of his home, thinking, mm-hmm. oh, this is just a little old man that's lost. Then the police would have arrived at his home, and they would see that it's vacant, no one lives there, and now what do we do with him? I would have been beside myself. And actually, last week, I found a man in a four-lane highway, and people were just driving by him. I made a U-turn, slowed around. I rolled down my passenger window, and I said something to him, and I could see by the look in his eye that he had dementia. So I pulled over, and I called the police, and I waited for them to come pick him up. But everybody else drove by him like he was a homeless man. Mm-hmm. And now that I know, I saw it. I completely saw it. And he was a lovely little old man that couldn't really tell me his address, but he told me his name, mm-hmm. and he thanked me for helping him. And he said, you know, I've been missing before. Oh. And common. That's it's so common. heartbreaking. It is. But the worst part is he was in a four-lane road alone. Standing in the and road? It, yeah, in the road. Four lanes. And people drove by him. Oh, my and gosh. And so I would never have allowed that to happen to my dad. Never. Mm-hmm. And it does take adjustment. I think it's more adjustment on the adult child when you place your family member than it is on them. I struggled with it more. It took me at least three months to sleep a whole night. Oh. So he went into the facility about what, how long ago? Mm, eight months or so. I eight think. months. Okay. Months. What do you think about the care he's getting? I think it's great. It's Good. fantastic. I was concerned at first. So I hired an additional outside DNA, but I don't think that there's any benefit to that mm-hmm. because you want to kind of exert whatever independence they still have, keep mm-hmm. as much of it as possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I find that the longer you have them, the lazier they get. And they do much better with the staff and getting to know the staff members and doing what they still can. I still believe in as much independence as they can. I think it keeps them healthier longer. Uh-huh. So your dad is there. And he's there as a resident. And do you feel yeah. like he is evened out a little bit? Do you feel like he's kind of settled in? Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's really good. The nurse practitioner, the nurse pra- I try to keep him on as few medications as possible. I don't really want to give him medication for Parkinson's because they interact with other medications. Uh-huh. And Parkinson's medication uh, results in dizziness and confusion. Mm-hmm. So dizziness results in a fall. Confusion results in unhappiness or insecurity or here, so mm-hmm. I've chosen not to do that. But you feel like his quality of life has improved. I do, I uh-huh. do. And what about your quality of life, Lisa? Are you are you back at work um, now? How are you doing? No, I'm spending three to four days a week with him, and I, I probably micromanage a little bit, but it's still a roller coaster. There'll be something health-wise that'll occur, mm-hmm. and I'll think that, you know, this is it. And then the next week I'm thinking, okay, he's going to live a lot longer, Emotionally, it, it doesn't really get better. For whether you you're there or on him? A thing. For me. Okay. For me. I don't think it does. Why? But I'm, because I think you just worry about their life. You worry about life expectancy or there's been a few times that he's been hospitalized and I, you know, I slept there day and night and didn't know what we were facing. Uh-huh. I'm not ready for this to be the end of his life. Right. As long as. We still have discussion, and there are five or six people that he recognizes immediately, uh-huh. and he still comes through with his own personality. Right. Would, is it what he, what he would want? No. He would never wanted to have spent his senior years like this. Absolutely not. I don't think anybody would. No. But it's much more prevalent than 
I guess I think all of us, even up to in our 50s, think, okay, well, oh, we're just going to die in our sleep. Or, you know, the body's going to give out, but it's going to be cancer or dementia or heart attack or sometimes they're long, costly illnesses. Well, speaking of costs, how, how has this been financially? Fortunately, after I think all of us experienced my grandmother's decline with her dementia, we bought long-term care. So I have a couple years of that, and that's pretty good. Mm -hmm. And I would recommend it to everybody because the younger you are when you buy it, the less expensive it is. And a lot of my friends in their 50s, I recommended to them that they buy it. Oh, no, I just can't afford it. You have to find a way to afford it because I really don't know how people would cover. His expenses monthly are more than mine are living out in the world. Uh-huh. And I speak with a lot of adult children. There's veterans benefits. There's some Medicaid, but it doesn't cover everything. And there's a lot of things that are out of pocket. Physical mm-hmm. therapy, occupational therapy, massage therapy, mm-hmm. a lot of things. So, it's a real patchwork that, sort of yes, system. Yes, the Medicare is not easy to understand. And, you know, you must have your prescription coverage and your supplemental to Medicare. And the earlier you get that, the better, because the longer you wait, the more expensive it is. And I'm still figuring things out financially. Yeah. Did you sell the house? Go forward. His house? No, I haven't sold the house yet. I haven't sold it. Uh-huh. Any particular um, reason you're waiting? Um, I'm waiting because here's another thing. You know, my father was really diligent about his will and how he wanted things to be, you know, when his life was over. Mm -hmm. And he did what he thought was going to protect me by putting his house in trust for me. Mm -hmm. However, when you have a trust, there really aren't provisions for you being unable to serve as a trustee. Perhaps like, you know, my dad's condition with dementia. There's no legal thing he can sign anymore. He's not competent. So, being that he brought, really made the right decisions in trying to save me as much money as possible when it was time for me to inherit money, it's actually become a hindrance now that he's alive and needs, needs that. Right. Because there's a lot of capital gains tax involved if you sell your property before you have passed. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, no one thinks about that. So, I suggest people write their final documents with clauses or provisions for incompetence. And I wasn't going to sell the house, you know, because I wanted to wait till he wasn't talking to me about it or thinking about returning to it. But that's all, that's all guilt. You have to do what's right and you just have to like make a preemptive strike. A you know? preemptive strike. Is yeah. that what you said? Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you have to just do things that you have to do and you can't let the guilt or some of their wishes that are just unable to be fulfilled, just do it gently. Uh-huh. You have to do it. Or you just don't talk about it or you say tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So what is an average day like for you? Um, an average day would be I go through his multitude of Medicare bills. I take care of previous things. I continue to work on previous things that either he kind of messed up with his illness. Or I'm still straightening out things like that. Mm-hmm. So I work on the past. I work on the present of his bill. And then I do whatever I can to do at the house, whether it be go check on it or fix whatever is breaking because of the fact it's unoccupied. And it just seems like then the day flies by and then I'm with him or I'm scheduling other appointments for him, taking him to an outside doctor, or then I take I do take him out to meals when I see him if he's having a good day. And it just seems like there aren't enough hours in the day. Are you able to spend time with I, friends at all? Yeah, I, I've, I've been getting better at that. That's I, good. There's still plenty of people that think I've dropped off the face of the earth, but... I'm starting to get that back again. That's good. Yeah, it's all consuming. Yeah. It is. It is. But 
there's little things that he can learn. You know, when, when he was first coming in here, you have to have his furniture moved in, and then they tell you what you should have and what you couldn't have. Oh, no rugs. Okay, that's a tripping hazard. Mm-hmm. And then if put the name, you know, just like summer camp, put the name labels on his clothes. <laughs> well, I did that. Uh-huh. I ordered them. I'm ironing them on all of the clothing and linens uh-huh. the night before. And then I realized that's stupid because the people that do the laundry, they don't know his name. Let's use a Sharpie and put the room number on. Right. <laughs> you know, there's, th- there's small things that... Yeah. You learn as you go. Then, yes, absolutely. And a lot of them are time-saving, mentally-saving. You just got to figure them out, what they are. So do you miss your, your other work? What, tell us what you were doing. I was doing event planning for a hotel. So, mm-hmm. And I worked a lot. I worked about six days a week. Mm-hmm. And missed that. I missed the camaraderie of the other employees. I missed you know, my friends, contacts, but Mm -hmm. I'm going to have to do something else because going forward, you can't really work. I'm going to have to find some way to work for myself because going forward, you can't expect your employer to let you leave every time you get a phone call. You know, I I don't, I don't have any children myself and I don't know how parents with kids in daycare every time this kid calls and I don't feel good, pick me up from school. I, I would say that this gets more phone calls than a child. Mm-hmm. And these are more serious as far as a fall or an accident or all of a sudden pneumonia has developed in a day. But going forward, I have to find out a way to work for myself because I wouldn't expect an employer to tolerate the amount of distraction. This mm-hmm. takes. Well, isn't there in an ideal world some sort of compromise that can be made where you don't have to do everything? You don't have to be there all the time and... Some employers have paid family leave policies. It depends on the kind of work you're doing, I guess. I'm True. in no Absolutely. way saying that anyone's doing it 100% right because we really aren't doing a very good job of this at all in this country, in my, no, in no, my view. No, 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 we're really not. Right. We're really not. So now we're in a political season, and I'm asking people I interview what they would tell the candidates about the issue of long-term care and what we need in this country. What would you well, say? Well, I think... You know, I thought I was pretty lucky being in Florida, where per capita, I think the population is generally above 55. So I thought I would find more doctors with better senior geriatric knowledge. I don't find that to be the case. And I would think with so many facilities here, they go from assisted living to 100% complete care. I thought that I would find more price competition because they aren't Mm -hmm. the only game in town. Right. But I don't find that through as well. And a lot of the people that are in the facility that my father's in are retired teachers, hmm. which is interesting hmm. because teachers have pensions. So that's what's eating up their pension is being able to, to reside here. But our age going forward, no one has a pension anymore. Medicare couldn't cover this. And the only option seems to be long-term care. But maybe somehow that should be, Instead of looking at a, looking at that as a luxury, maybe it should become somehow connected with Medicaid and Social Security or Medicare and Social Security. Mm-hmm. Because my uncle right now is, is uh, 91 years old and his wife, who's a little bit younger, is ill. And he's very agile and perfectly healthy. But I think he's having a little trouble doing all of the housework, all of the cooking, all of the shopping. And there needs to be a way that... They can have some form of decent care that is affordable. I wouldn't know how to even project that. But considering the age of the American population, this is only going to get bigger. So I wouldn't know how to fix it. 
I find it incre- incredibly ironic that none of the candidates are really talking about it, given how old they are. They're not are saying all. anything. They're not, no, they're mm-hmm. not saying anything. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I think if you're in the average neighborhood anywhere, if you were to take your dog out for a walk, there is some house in that route that you've taken where someone is living alone and not taking care of themselves properly. Mm-hmm. And I was at my friend's house the other day, and three doors down, I saw all of this furniture and these belongings on the curb. I said, what's going on there? And I talked to another neighbor, and it was an older lady who was being evicted, and social services came and took her dog away, which was the most important thing to her. Mm -hmm. And then they were looking to place her on the county or the state. And I thought that was horrific. It is horrific. It's terrible. Yeah. And maybe she doesn't have family. Maybe she doesn't have financial resources. Mm-hmm. But there should be a better alternative than throwing every single one of her possessions out on the curb and taking her away and taking her pet. That's really, really awful. Yeah. Lisa, yeah. Um, can you tell me what you think you learned about yourself through this, about your capabilities? Uh, you know, that you just do it. That I mean, I really, I, I, I think I just, I came to the breaking point when finally... I realized I had to place my dad and I still doubted it and thought if he does decline a little further, then I'll bring him back home. And many people have said, that's crazy. You can't do that. You're not going to be capable. And up until extremely recently, when I was taking my dad from a wheelchair to the shower, I realized I can't do it. I mean, it would be troublesome before and my back would be sore the next day. But now I realize I really can't do it at all. Mm-hmm. So it's proven to me that I've made the right decision, but I've also realized that no matter what it is, I'll handle it with support or without support. And do I feel like I've aged five years in one year? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 But I also, it's what they say. Good times don't do anything for you and the hard times only make you stronger. So I don't really mind sacrificing my personal life or my time because at this point, I don't know how much time my dad has left. Uh-huh. So whatever disagreements we had in the past, I try to remember him as the father I had when I was four, five, fifteen. Uh-huh. And I try not to just remember this. And, you know, we do get a couple jokes in there once in a while uh-huh. on a good day. Uh-huh. And I just want to make sure that I'm all right with him and God when this is all done. He so. still recognizes you, right? Your dad? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's good. And that's probably why I spend a lot of time here. Because I think if I go too many days in between, uh-huh. he feels like he's been abandoned. And I would never want him to feel like that. But there are plenty of other residents that I know their name and I talk to them. Sometimes I get stuck taking one of them to the bathroom or changing their clothes. Oh. I think they're very familiar with my face. <laughs> uh-huh. And I happen to know for a fact that their their children are in another state. And they're doing okay, too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. at a certain time of day, I'll find some lady and she'll say, and you take me out to the door, I don't know where my husband is. And oh, that's hard. Yeah. You know, it depends on what stage of the past they're living in. Mm-hmm. And what can you do? So this facility is a dementia care facility, specifically? Absolutely, yeah. Okay. And you had to decide really fast. Yes, but I had, I had started looking, and I have to say that some of the people were really annoying me because you call and you want general information, you don't want to be bothered, but then mm-hmm. you're, getting 10, you're getting 10 or 15 calls a day. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to do that and take care of someone at home that needs their full attention all the time, you kind of have to say, please don't call me. You know, I'll look when I can look. 
it's almost like going to buy a car and having a guy continue to call you. <laughs> it's a good analogy. So what, what yeah. for, for listeners, what advice can you give in terms of looking and what questions to ask or just what to be on the lookout for? Um, well, what mattered to me, and I think it's been right in the long term, and these aren't in any particular order, proximity to a hospital. Got to be really close in case there's emergency. Ratio of staff to residents. Overall number of residents, the smaller the better. And, you know, look around. See what looks clean. See what they do for the holidays. See how people know you on a one-to-one basis. Because I would have had no problem if I didn't think things were right pulling my dad out and finding something someplace better. Sounds like and you made the right I choice. I did. In fact, the place that we're at, the director, she received an award for best director in the state. There's never been any violations. So, yeah, I am happy with my choice. And how many residents are there? Less than 100. And they make provisions for going forward if your relative is to decline to a certain point. They make provisions for you to have outside help, but it's not covered. Uh-huh. But you're allowed to do that to prevent them from, from moving, from having to move to another facility, which moving is never good. Change is not good. It's unsettling. But, um, yeah. But, you know, so far, there's always going to be guilt. There's always going to be guilt. But as long as you know that you're doing everything you can, then you have to kind of make peace with that. What more could you have done? I mean, why why do you feel so guilty? I think because my father, like every person has said, I had tried to ask him to sell his house and go into a condo. You know, I said, you're retired now. Have some freedom. Go travel. Go do this. No, no, I love my house. Uh-huh. So I knew that was going to be a problem mm-hmm. going forward. I, hold on just a second. Sure. After lunch, piano. <laughs> so I knew, I knew what he wanted. Uh-huh. And this was honestly the last thing that he would want, to be in a facility. Uh-huh. But he's here now, and he's happy being here. And he's probably seeing more people on a day-to-day basis than he was when he was living alone. Yeah, that's so true. And we often forget that aspect. Because mm-hmm. my, mom, my mom is in a, not a dementia care facility, but she's in a retirement home, too. She's in assisted living. And she has more attention than she ever would have had living alone. Absolutely. And it's very important. Socializing is very important. It's extremely important. And and I think my father living alone without being remarried certainly contributes to the speed of the demise. And I can say that for my grandmother, too. She was a widow living alone in her home. Uh And when my grandfather died, she stopped socializing because he was a social one. If you're going to get a disease, you're going to get one. But I really think you can prolong your health by having relationships, close relationships with people. Mm-hmm. And the research supports yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and if he was getting out of the house and, you know, going to the post office or getting gas or going to the grocery store, those aren't people that are going to, you may have a quick conversation with them, but that's not the right way. That's not the correct amount of interaction. You have to have people that can be there and see the day-to-day changes. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I know you're busy there. Is there anything else that you would like to leave for the listeners before we close? Well, I think I'd like to say when it comes to the, you know, the medical world, just keep insisting. Keep insisting, keep pursuing, keep asking questions. If you don't like the answers you're receiving, get another doctor. And beyond that, ask your friends for help. Ask your family for help. You know, when I didn't have a good DNA at home, Sometimes I'd ask my friends to come and watch my dad so I could get out and go to the grocery store or do something because he was familiar with that. So don't not ask for help. You have to. And talk about it. Just talk about it. It's nice to get other people's opinions, 
But probably I think the most important thing, don't make quick decisions. I have used to make quick decisions. You say, hey, A or B, and I would tell you right then, I sleep on everything now. Hmm. Yeah. Everything. Because I've made plenty of mistakes, plenty of mistakes. But you're sleeping better now, so that makes me feel good. Yeah, and I think going to a support group can be extremely helpful. People might think it's silly and you don't want to talk in front of strangers, but you're going to get tips. You're going to get support. Uh-huh. And when I was coming home crying every night after my dad went to bed, that wasn't good. Did you so, join a support group at some point? I did. I did. I go once a week. Oh, that's great. And good. Yeah, I think it's important. There's plenty of free support groups at local hospitals or community centers. And going to a support group can be extremely helpful. Okay. Well, Lisa Howland, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your story. It's been really fascinating. And I wish you all the best going forward, one month at a time, one moment at a time. Exactly. Okay. Thanks, Thank Lisa. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'd love to know what you thought about today's show. You can email me at Jana at agewise.com. That's J-A-N-A at A-G-E-W-Y-Z, or Z, as my Canadian mother says. You can also find me online at agewise.com. And listen to this podcast and lots of other fresh ones on the Speak Up Talk Radio Network, the 24-7 streaming and on-demand radio network that's always on for you. I'm Jana Panaritis. See you next time. Until then, age well, age wise.